And welcome to Drafting Compliance. I'm Kane. He's Tom. And in our last episode, we talked about the uh, the progress with our FedRAMP journey. Today, we're going to be talking about security assessment and authorization. But before then, Tom, um, I, I have some good news. Our beer subscription service actually delivered me beer this time. And I think you said it's the same beer that you got, right? Correct. We are back on track at least for one month with our beer subscription service. So that's a good thing. And I hope that uh, we, we find that it happens month after month going forward. Well, I mean, they sent me six beers, so I kind of look at that as six months worth of content, but uh, or three months worth of content. But um, what are we drinking today, Tom? What are we cracking Today, open? we are drinking Deschutes Brewery's Farm Fresh Mango IPA. Looks like that. And it looks a lot like Fresh Squeezed. You're familiar with Deschutes Brewery, but... Um, you know, this is one of this is out of Bend, Oregon. So this is right in your neighborhood. But yeah, this is I've one of the there. bigger, yep, one of the bigger. Uh, we'll call it craft breweries. Right. But I've never, I've never had this cane, so I'm excited to try it. Uh, I will say, farm anything that has the word farm in it uh, generally means that it's it's going to be a little less, um, I would say, hoppy and or um, carbonated. But we'll see what this one okay. is like. Well, I mean, I, I like that this is a comparable, unlike last episode, where I had the enormous beer can and you had the, the reasonable size. So I think We're I can fit this whole size. thing in my glass, right? That's yep. kind of nice. Um, I'm noticing a distinct fruit theme here as well, Tom. Is this a thing in beer where, where fruits are just popular? Is this seasonal at all? It It is. It's both popular and I would say more popular during the warm up across the nation. But, you know, okay. I will confess that fruit beer is typically not my favorite kind of beer but i have had a few that are very good so anybody in the midwest who's had mango cart that's a very good one so i'm excited this one might uh scratch that itch for me as well all right well we'll see how it goes it's a spring beer is what i'm hearing as opposed to a winter beer maybe i'll hear less about winter fireplaces and sweaters yeah. from oh boy <laughs> that smells like mango right off the nose um they are not mm. lying yeah, very mangoey. Like that just filled up my office with mango. Getting better at this, I think. It's a bit cloudy. Mm. This mm. has an oh. enormous uh, head on it. Well, skills, Tom. Look, see, I got mine to fill, to fit. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I'm more experienced in part of the nose on it anyway. So. Uh, I can't see through this one, but it's not it's as dark as Definitely the, hazy, the but yeah, it's a. It's a honey color. Yeah. Mm. Boy, it's fruity. Yeah, I, I can tell you it smells of mango. I'm going to get my nose in there and see if it's, it smells of literally anything else other than mango. Beer. Mango and beer. Getting the beer nose off this, but mostly like mango, like prominent. I use this yeah, like bomb very ripe bees, mango. and it pretty much smells the same way. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give it a go. Yeah, same, same. A little sour. It doesn't taste like mango. <laughs> That's disappointing. I was expecting. Okay, well, wait. There's a. There's a. I taste a, a lot after, of mango. There's an aftertaste of mango. So on the tip of my tongue, on the front part of my tongue, and I hope this is not a beer that coats your tongue. Like every literally every other beer we've had on the show so far, it feels like. Like on the front half of my tongue, there's definitely like beer taste, but back towards the. Backside of my mouth, there's definitely mango. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty well balanced. I mean, it's it's. Um, well, they advertise it as a mango hop. beer. Got a, a mango beer. It's definitely got mango. You know, it's not it's not biting as some IPA, IPAs are. So it's it's you know it's not begging you to try to quench your thirst with another drink, which a lot of IPAs do. So mm. I I think it's pretty good. It's definitely not as sweet as I feared it might be. Um, we had another beer that was fruity and extremely sweet. Oh, the one was like off the or- the the off brand orange juice that had sat in the refrigerator for too long. That yep. was terrible. The shandy. This is much better. <laughs> I, I can enjoy this. Yeah, I um, I, I'm gonna think about this for the rest of the episode <laughs> to see how I feel about it. Um, usually it takes a couple it, more sips to really get your feet under you, Kane. <laughs> yeah, usually where I'm thinking about this is a breath mint, actually. But um, <laughs> let's move on to the FedRAMP topics now. So, um, Tom, let's start off with something easy. Like, what is the security assessment and authorization under FedRAMP moderate? Sure. So if you're if you're working on FedRAMP or thinking about FedRAMP, you're likely toying with the idea, what's it mean to your organization to do continuous monitoring? And what's it going to be year over year to maintain your FedRAMP authorization? That's what this set of controls is all about. So it talks about what are the continuous monitoring requirements? What are the annual requiring uh, requirements for our, for assessment from a third party? So it's really wrapping your program around its routine deliverables. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that in that it it's a lot of the recent regulatory changes we've seen have been emphasizing to companies that, hey, this is not one and done. This is something that happens over a period. It is a program. It is not a project. And so having recently, before this episode, I actually read this section of FedRAMP Moderate, I wanted to ask how organizations are going to develop. And then, again, over time, how are they going to develop and maintain a comprehensive security assessment plan that adheres to those FedRAMP Moderate requirements? Sure. So. There's a lot to unpack there. So, of course, FedRAMP in and of itself is extremely prescriptive. So it's going to tell you exactly what you need to do. You need to have policy in place, which is going to be just a simple security assessment and authorization policy. It's going to tell your organization exactly what it needs to do. There is some wiggle room within this set of controls at the moderate level. So, for instance, they will tell you exactly what are the items that you need to plan for, but they're going to also say, hey, there's other continuous monitoring that you may want to put in place. Tell us what you're doing so we can assess that as well. So that in that sense, this this control at the moderate level has a tremendous amount of freedom to move. And what I would suggest anybody's doing it is is think about as you build that plan out, think about best practices more than you think about just FedRAMP. Because best practices here is going to steer you to the right level of of monitoring and continuous monitoring. And most importantly, going to help you think about automation in this set of controls here. So if you can, if you can schedule continuous monitoring, so it's it's of no impact to your organization's workload, it's uh-huh. more of a dashboard. Then you're going to be in a better position. All right, and and there's a element of time here that I want to rotate back to that. So you you mentioned that this had an annual component and a continuous component, and. Um, systems are no longer really static anymore, right? I mean, especially in today's DevOps world or SecDevOps or whatever the buzzword is, right? 
stuff changes. So um, in the event of a, a significant change to a system, uh, what steps should be taken to maintain the validity of its security authorization under FedRAMP moderate? Excellent question. Certainly, again, the controls themselves are prescriptive here. So the requirements from FedRAMP going to tell you exactly what they are. It's going to point you to a NIST document to help you understand what a significant change is. Mm -hmm. So even though the term significant change, although it feels rubbery in the context of FedRAMP, they point you to a document that's going to tell you exactly what a significant change is. And it's going to change by type of service you're providing to the government. So know that a significant change isn't the same for every organization. That's the first Can you thing. give us an example of a, a little more on that? Because it still feels a bit squishy to me and possibly to our viewers who might want to go look at that NIST document. We'll put a sure. link in the show notes. Yeah, that's right. I think it's an 80-page document, so it's not a small one. So in general, if you are dealing with um, what the government would call CUI, you're under one set of requirements. That's us, where we have to, you know, if, if we put out new uh, feature sets within our application and not just enhancements to existing feature sets, that would be a significant change. Mm -hmm. uh, separately, if you're not providing that level of service to the government and it's, I'm trying to think of a system, but if it's a different sort of system with a different set of data, you're going to have less requirements and a significant change might be, um, you know, a firmware upgrade or a OS upgrade or the introduction of, um, you know, a new clustered node or something like that, where it's more infrastructure focused, where ours is going to be certainly more application focused. So, you know, just understanding that that has to become part of your DevSecOps mm -hmm. is, is critical. But I can tell you from my experience with most of the newer SaaS organizations, they already do a significant amount of security thought process upfront in their development cycle. Mm -hmm. This is really just going to ask you to formalize that and make sure that there is a vulnerability scan and uh, a, a thoughtful approach to how it's getting deployed within your environment before it actually gets deployed. Okay. All right. And, and so that's, that's on a significant change. And you also talked about monitoring and you talked about monitoring automation Something I'm, I'm thinking about here is that a monitored uh, system is going to produce a report, and I bet there's probably something in there about actually providing those monitoring reports out. I mean, if you create a report and nobody reads it, right, what's the value of it? So um, who are some of the key stakeholders that we'll need to communicate those monitoring reports to? Um, like, would that include the FedRAMP PMO, uh, the system owners, and uh, security officers? Correct. It would also include the authorizing organization that you're using. So in the case of, uh, if you're using, I'll just throw one out there. If you're using the Department of Transportation as your authorizing organization, they are sort of the first filter on all of that. So it's going to go to them. In general, you can break things down at the moderate level to monthly and annual. So Monthly, you're going to have to provide scans of all your applications, your OSs, your containers. I'm sure I'm missing something. Networks. Um, you're going to have to provide that on a monthly basis, and you're going to have to provide an external vulnerability scan on a monthly basis. And then, as I indicated before, comes that wiggle room where you get to define what are the other continuous controls that you're putting in place. 
and I can tell you from talking with other folks in in the the FedRAMP world, you don't have the option of just providing nothing there. <laughs> so they want to make sure that you are looking at your infrastructure from a critical eye of a system owner. And you're saying, what is important here to make sure it doesn't get compromised? What they didn't want to do is put uh, put in place a shim that doesn't necessarily fit every organization that's out there. That's why that wiggle room is in there. Okay. And just on wiggle room as well. So you talked a little bit about frequency there. Um, what are the other key considerations for determining the appropriate frequency of a security control assessment so that organizations can be continuously compliant with FedRAMP moderate? Sure. It's extremely prescriptive on the ones that you have to do. So as I mm -hmm. indicated, there's monthly and annual. The annual is generally you're establishing a relationship with a third party, the 3PAO. They're an accredited mm -hmm. FedRAMP um, authorized assessor. And they're going to come in and annually do an assessment. And their, their purview is really up to them to help define. They can look at, you know, your controls as a whole or a subset of your controls. The reality is, is they're going to look really closely at what you are and are not looking at from a continuous compliance perspective. And they're likely going to ask you to mature that year over year. So that's something you need to look, look at and be ready for. Mm -hmm. In terms of frequency, you get to determine on the ones that you are are driving towards the the continuous monitoring uh, points of interest that you you define. But I'm going to tell you this world in general is moving towards a continuous monitoring modality. So anywhere you can automate that, and you can make it um, so that frequency can be as often as every hour or 20 minutes if it's not intrusive. Uh -huh. um, you're gonna you're gonna be in a better position. You're gonna feel more comfortable, and certainly your auditors are gonna look at that as a best practice. Yeah, I think being able to demonstrate continuous compliance um, certainly helps in a lot of ways, both from a security perspective in just getting that level of visibility plumbed into the environment, as well as a compliance perspective. You know, I'll, I'll give uh, you I, one. I'll give you one example, Kane, of sure. of of what we're doing. So we, of course, use Hyperproof as our platform. We're pulling the the encryption levels on all our containers, um, so we know all of our storage platforms what they're being encrypted at. I pull that every day, and then mm -hmm. I, I configure a test in Hyperproof to tell me if it's not accurate uh, to the oh, standard. Oh, okay. So right, that's continuous compliance. I know through the dashboard if that ever fails that I'm going to get a ticket kicked off, and and that work will go uh, to the appropriate person. Otherwise, I know if that's green, I'm healthy, and that control is working as planned. No, it's definitely a, a good use of the feature and um, definitely would encourage our viewers who are using that uh, or who aren't using that to leverage that capability. Um, I want to go back to the, something you said earlier is that this is, there are assessments done periodically and there's also a reauthorization process. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how organizations prepare for and then manage the reauthorization process uh, with FedRAMP to, to maintain their compliance over time. Sure. So you want to have a very well-documented program, and you should have a very well-documented uh, program as you enter into the ATO process to begin with. As long as you maintain that documentation and you understand your continuous monitoring requirements, both in terms of changes to the to the, um, the information system as a whole, but also to changes to your program as a whole, right? So if you decide you're going to switch out a monitoring tool, you know, you've, you've mm -hmm. 
you've done the things that are required along the way to to authorize that with your AO and the and the FedRAMP PMO, then you're going to be in good shape. Your third party is going to come in annually and going to look at your program and reattest you um, for for authorization. And as long as you have that level of scrutiny year long, um, it's not going to be like in the past where you maybe had a SOC two, right? And it's a scramble for six weeks before your SOC two to just try to get it get ready for it. This is the the whole reason continuous monitoring exists is to set you up for success long term and to make the annual requirements um, less painful than they would have been in, under some other program. And thinking of that level of documentation, I believe in a prior episode, we talked about change logs and maintaining all of those. So I can imagine that provided an organization is keeping detailed change logs of all of their systems and and if they've made significant changes, provided somebody goes and updates the documentation, the annual reauthorization process, probably it's probably an easier lift, knock on wood, than the initial one, right? Yeah, for sure. I don't, I mean, even you can look at the cost of the follow-up and it's something like 70% of the initial. So even the assessor assumes it's going to be significantly less work. So yeah, you can, you can look at it as a step down and in, in less painful. All right. you got a plan for well, it. Yeah, well, with that, let's um, let's move to the beer reviews, Tom. I think we've covered the uh, content pretty well for the authorizations. Let's talk about beer. This uh, it's been sitting here. It's been the fragrance has been airing out of my office, which is kind of nice. Uh, do you want to go first, or should I? Actually, wait. No, I can still smell it. Um, <laughs> you want to go first, or should I? I will absolutely go first. So, unlike some other fruity IPAs that I've had, this doesn't have nearly the sweet. Um, undertones that I don't particularly like in beer. Still has a nice hot flavor. The mango comes through, but it doesn't overpower. It's nice balance. So this is very drinkable. I, again, would drink it more in, in the warm months in, in Iowa here. It's not quite the warm months yet, but we're getting it. Um, but yeah, I'll keep this in the fridge in the summer. I think it's pretty good. So I, I'm going to go with a seven on this beer. A seven. Okay. Well, I will say that initially it was quite mango uh, forward and um, in terms of nose and in terms of palate. I just had another sip there. It has definitely retained that sour characteristic. Um, It does leave an aftertaste of mango in your mouth, which depending on how you feel about mangoes is either going to be great or you're going to be thinking, oh, a sour mango. This one isn't ripe yet. Uh, To me, it's kind of like an underripe mango crossed with something like beer, which I guess that's kind of the vibe they're going for. I don't think I'd drink this again. Um, I'm going to give it, I don't know, it's somewhere between a two and a three. Um, let's go with a three on this one. It's it's not as bad as some of the ones we've had, but I'm, I'm learning I don't like fruit beer. Oh, well that I'll be honest, that was a surprise. I thought if you're a wine guy, the fruit beers might, might uh, go over better. But we're learning. We're we're zeroing in, Kane. I think I think we're that, still going to find one. That we are, Tom. And with that, I want to thank everyone for watching today. Uh, please do like and subscribe for additional content, and we'll look forward to seeing you again in a couple weeks. Thank you. Thank you.